Section 62 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Carpenter. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D, Section 62 appendix of the reign of james i part two the manners of the nation were agreeable to the monarchical government which prevailed and contained not that strange mixture which at present distinguishes england from all other countries such violent extremes were then unknown of industry and debauchery frugality and profusion civility and rusticity fanaticism and scepticism candor sincerity modesty are the only qualities which the english of that age possessed in common with the present high pride of family then prevailed and it was by a dignity and stateliness of behavior that the gentry and nobility distinguished themselves from the common people great riches acquired by commerce were more rare and had not as yet been able to confound all ranks of men and render money the chief foundation of distinction much ceremony took place in the common intercourse of life and little familiarity was indulged by the great the advantages which result from opulence are so solid and real that those who are possessed of them need not dread the near approaches of their inferiors the distinctions of birth and title being more empty and imaginary soon vanish upon familiar access and acquaintance the expenses of the great consisted in pomp and show and a numerous retinue rather than in convenience and true pleasure the earl of nottingham in his embassy to spain was attended by five hundred persons and the earl of hertford in that to brussels carried three hundred gentlemen along with him lord bacon has remarked that the english nobility in his time maintained a larger retinue of servants than the nobility of any other nation except perhaps the polanders civil honors which now hold the first place were at that time subordinate to the military the young gentry and nobility were fond of distinguishing themselves by arms the fury of duels too prevailed more than at any time before or since and this was the turn that the romantic chivalry for which the nation was formerly so renowned had lately taken liberty of commerce between the sexes was indulged but without any licentiousness of manners the court was very little an exception to this observation james had rather entertained an aversion and contempt for the females nor were those young courtiers of whom he was so fond able to break through the established manners of the nation the first sedan chair seen in england was in this reign and was used by the duke of buckingham to the great indignation of the people who exclaimed that he was employing his fellow-creatures to do the service of beasts the country life prevails at present in england beyond any cultivated nation in europe but it was then much more generally embraced by all the gentry the increase of arts pleasures and social commerce was just beginning to produce an inclination for the softer and more civilized life of the city 
James discouraged as much as possible this alteration of manners. He was wont to be very earnest, as Lord Bacon tells us, with the country gentlemen to go from London to their county seats, and sometimes he would say thus to them, Gentlemen, at London you are like ships in a sea, which show like nothing, but in your country villages you are like ships in a river, which look like great things. He was not content with reproof and exhortation, as Queen Elizabeth had perceived with regret the increase of London, and had restrained all new buildings by proclamation, James, who found these edicts were not exactly obeyed, frequently renewed them, though a strict execution seems still to have been wanting. He also issued reiterated proclamations in imitation of his predecessor, containing severe menaces against the gentry who lived in town. This policy is contrary to that which has ever been practised by all princes who studied the increase of their authority. To allure the nobility to court, to engage them in expensive pleasures or employments, which dissipate their fortunes, to increase their subjection to ministers by attendance, to weaken their authority in the provinces by absence, these have been the common arts of arbitrary government. But James, besides that he had certainly laid no plan for extending his powers, had no money to support a splendid court or bestow on a numerous retinue of gentry and nobility. He thought, too, that by their living together they became more sensible of their own strength and were apt to indulge too curious researches into the matters of government. To remedy the present evil, he was desirous of dispersing them into their country seats, where he hoped they would bear a more submissive reverence to his authority and receive less support from each other. But the contrary effect soon followed. The riches amassed during their residence at home rendered them independent. The influence acquired by hospitality made them formidable. They would not be led by the court. They could not be driven. And thus the system of the English government received a total and a sudden alteration in the course of less than forty years. The first rise of commerce and the arts had contributed in preceding reigns to scatter those immense fortunes of the barons which rendered them so formidable both to king and people. The further progress of these advantages began during this reign to ruin the small proprietors of land, and by both events the gentry, or that rank which composed the House of Commons, enlarged their power and authority. The early improvements in luxury were seized by the greater nobles, whose fortunes, placing them above frugality or even calculation, were soon dissipated in expensive pleasures. These improvements reached at last all men of property, and those of slender fortunes, who at that time were often men of family, imitating those of a rank immediately above them, reduced themselves to poverty. Their lands coming to sale swelled the estates of those who possessed riches sufficient for the fashionable expenses, but who were not exempted from some care and attention to their domestic economy. The gentry also of that age were engaged in no expense except that of country hospitality. No taxes were levied, no wars waged, no attendance at court expected, no bribery or profusion required at elections. Could human nature ever reach happiness, the condition of the English gentry under so mild and benign a prince might merit that appellation. 
the amount of the king's revenue as it stood in sixteen seventeen is thus stated of crown lands eighty thousand pounds a year by customs and new impositions near one hundred and ninety thousand by wards and other various branches of revenue besides purveyance one hundred and eighty thousand the whole amounting to four hundred and fifty thousand the king's ordinary disbursements by the same account are said to exceed this sum by thirty six thousand pounds all the extraordinary sums which james had raised by subsidies loans sale of lands sale of the title of baronet money paid by the states and by the king of france benevolences etc were in the whole about two millions two hundred thousand pounds of which the sale of lands afforded seven hundred and seventy five thousand pounds the extraordinary disbursements of the king amounted to two million besides above four hundred thousand pounds given in presents upon the whole a sufficient reason appears partly from necessary expenses partly for want of a rigid economy why the king even early in his reign was deeply involved in debt and found great difficulty to support his government farmers not commissioners levied the customs it seems indeed requisite that the former method should always be tried before the latter though a preferable one when men's own interest is concerned they fall upon a hundred expedients to prevent frauds in the merchants and these the public may afterwards imitate in establishing proper rules for its officers the customs were supposed to amount to five per cent of the value and were levied upon exports as well as imports nay the imposition upon exports by james additions is said to amount in some few instances to twenty-five per cent this practice so hurtful to industry prevails still in france spain and most countries of europe the customs in sixteen o four yielded one hundred and twenty seven thousand pounds a year they rose to one hundred and ninety thousand towards the end of the reign interest during this reign was at ten per cent till sixteen twenty four and then it was reduced to eight this high interest is an indication of the great profits and small progress of commerce the extraordinary supplies granted by parliament during this whole reign amounted not to more than six hundred and thirty thousand pounds which divided among twenty-one years makes thirty thousand pounds a year i do not include those supplies amounting to three hundred thousand pounds which were given to the king by his last parliament these were paid into their own commissioners and the expenses of the spanish war were much more than sufficient to exhaust them the distressed family of the palatine was a great burden on james during part of his reign the king it is pretended possessed not frugality proportioned to the extreme narrowness of his revenue splendid equipages however he did not affect nor costly furniture nor a luxurious table nor a prodigal mistress his buildings too were not sumptuous though the banqueting house must not be forgotten as a monument which does honor to his reign hunting was his chief amusement the cheapest pleasure in which a king can indulge himself his expenses were the effects of liberality rather than luxury one day it is said while he was standing amidst some of his courtiers a porter passed by loaded with money which he was carrying to the treasury the king observed that rich afterwards earl of holland 
one of his handsome, agreeable favorites, whispered something to one standing near him. Upon inquiry, he found that Rich had said, How happy would that money make me! Without hesitation, James bestowed it all upon him, though it amounted to three thousand pounds. He added, You think yourself very happy in obtaining so large a sum, but I am more happy in having an opportunity of obliging a worthy man whom I love. The generosity of James was more the result of a benign humor or light fancy than of reason or judgment. The objects of it were such as could render themselves agreeable to him in his loose hours, not such as were endowed with great merit, or who possessed talents or popularity which could strengthen his interest with the public. The same advantage we may remark over the people which the crown formerly reaped from that interval between the fall of the peers and the rise of the commons was now possessed by the people against the crown during the continuance of a like interval the sovereign had already lost that independent revenue by which he could subsist without regular supplies from parliament and he had not yet acquired the means of influencing those assemblies the effect of this situation which commenced with the accession of the house of stuart soon rose to a great height and were more or less propagated throughout all the reigns of that unhappy family subsidies and fifteenths are frequently mentioned by historians but neither the amount of these taxes nor the method of levying them have been well explained it appears that the fifteenths formerly corresponded to the name and were that proportionable part of the movables but a valuation having been made in the reign of edward the third that valuation was always adhered to and each town paid unalterably a particular sum which the inhabitants themselves assessed upon their fellow-citizens the same tax in corporate towns was called a tenth because there it was at first a tenth of the movables the whole amount of a tenth and a fifteenth throughout the kingdom or a fifteenth as it is often more concisely called was about twenty nine thousand pounds the amount of a subsidy was not invariable like that of a fifteenth in the eighth of elizabeth a subsidy amounted to one hundred and twenty thousand pounds in the fortieth it was not above seventy eight thousand it afterwards fell to seventy thousand and was continually decreasing the reason is easily collected from the method of levying it we may learn that the subsidy bills that one subsidy was given for four shillings in a pound on land two shillings and an eight pence on movables throughout the counties a considerable tax had it been strictly levied but this was only the ancient state of a subsidy during the reign of james there was not paid the twentieth part of that sum the tax was so far personal that a man paid only in the county where he lived though he should possess estates in other counties and the assessors formed a loose estimation of his property and rated him accordingly to preserve however some rule in the estimation it seems to have been the practice to keep an eye to former assessments and to rate every man according as his ancestors or men of such an estimated property were accustomed to pay this was a sufficient reason why subsidies could not increase notwithstanding the great increase of money and rise of rents but there was an evident reason why they continually decreased the favor as it is natural to suppose 
ran always against the crown especially during the latter end of elizabeth when subsidies became numerous and frequent and the sums levied were considerable compared to former supplies the assessors though accustomed to have an eye on ancient estimations were not bound to observe any such rule but might rate anew any person according to his present income when rents fell or parts of an estate were sold off the proprietor was sure to represent these losses and obtain a diminution of his subsidy but where rents rose or new lands were purchased he kept his own secret and paid no more than formerly the advantage therefore of every change was taken against the crown and the crown could obtain the advantage of none and to make the matter worse the alterations which happened in property during this age were in general unfavorable to the crown the small proprietors or twenty-pound men went continually to decay and when their estates were swallowed up by a greater the new purchaser increased not his subsidy so loose indeed is the whole method of rating subsidies that the wonder was not how the tax should continually diminish but how it yielded any revenue at all it became at last so unequal and uncertain that the parliament was obliged to change it into a land tax the price of corn during this reign and that of other necessaries of life was no lower or was rather higher than at present by a proclamation of james establishing public magazines whenever wheat fell below thirty-two shillings a quarter rye below eighteen barley below sixteen the commissioners were empowered to purchase corn for the magazines these prices then are to be regarded as low though they would rather pass for high by our present estimation the usual bread of the poor was at this time made of barley the best wool during the quarter part of james reign was at least thirty-three shillings a tod at present it is not above two-thirds of that value though it is to be presumed that our exports in woolen goods are somewhat increased the finer manufacturers too by the progress of arts and industry have rather diminished in price notwithstanding the great increase in money in shakespeare the hostess tells falstaff that the shirts she bought him were holland at eight shillings a yard a high price in this day even supposing what is not probable that the best holland at that time was equal in goodness to the best that can now be purchased in like manner a yard of velvet about the middle of elizabeth's reign was valued at two and twenty shillings it appears from dr birch's life of prince henry that the prince by contract with his butcher paid near a groat a pound throughout the year for all the beef and mutton used in his family besides we must consider that the general turn of that age which no laws could prevent was the converting of arable land into pasture a certain proof that the latter was found more profitable and consequently that all butcher's meat as well as bread was rather higher than at present we have a regulation of the market which regard to poultry and some other articles very early in charles the first reign and the prices are high a turkey cock four shillings and sixpence a turkey hen three shillings a pheasant cock six a pheasant hen five 
a partridge one shilling, a goose two, a capon two and sixpence, a pullet one and sixpence, a rabbit eight pence, a dozen of pigeons six shillings. We must consider that London at present is more than three times more populous than it was at that time, a circumstance which much increases the price of poultry and of everything that cannot conveniently be brought from a distance, not to mention that these regulations by authority are always calculated to diminish, never to increase the market prices. The contractors for victualling the navy were allowed by government eight pence a day for the diet of each man when in harbor, seven and a half penny when at sea, which would suffice at present. The chief difference in expense between that age and the present consists in the imaginary wants of men, which have since extremely multiplied. These are the principal reasons why James' revenue would go no further than the same money in our time, though the difference is not near so great as is usually imagined. End of section 62. Appendix of the Reign of James I. Part 2. Recording by Richard Carpenter in Seattle, Washington.